You're listening to Let's Go Green on Midlands 103. You are most welcome to this evening's programme. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and Let's Go Green is the show where we talk about all things environmental and how we can do our bit to support the actions that are being taken against climate change and where we can learn a little bit more about what we can be doing. And we've got a lovely show lined up for you today, but you might recall that I've been putting a call out for people across the Midlands who are involved in repairing. So repair workers, craftspeople, seamstresses, cobblers, whatever you might have it. Like it's something that I think we're all becoming a bit more aware of that we should make sure that everything that we own gets, you know, full use and a good life. And that we don't bin things a little bit too early in the game and waste things. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to technology. And if, like me, you're into your tech, I'm sure you might have had a conversation around the suspicion that the technology firms have built in obsolescence, built into their marketing strategies. And, um, well, we have a, a man who's a little bit expert in repairing technology pieces and items that we're joined now. And we're joined by Steve Sherwood. Steve is from Sherwood Tech Repairs in Mullingar. Steve, you are very welcome to the programme. Well, thanks for having me, Ashley. Yeah. So now, Steve, take me through um, how you got to be the guy that repairs tech and uh, screens from tractors and amps from musicians. Like, how do you learn about all this stuff? Um, oh, well, like my family, are, like my, my parents used to have a tech shop when we were kids. So it's always kind of been in us to be breaking stuff and fixing stuff. Um, like all my brothers are all involved in IT in some form or another. And just from that, like I started like any other tech guy uh, who would be around like you, you fix um, phones and laptops and all that kind of crack. And after a while, like I've been doing it oh, 10 years or so, after a while, the phone screens, all that stuff just gets boring and you mm-hmm. either change career or go deeper. Uh, so I just kind of went deeper and I've been kind of teaching myself electrical engineering on like circuit board theory. And I just love it. Do you know, I love figuring out how stuff works. And when I started my own business, I wanted to kind of concentrate on that side of it rather than, you know, your basic screen repairs or just upsell to another uh, product. Um, actually, like, so I get like a thousand dollar, two thousand quid, um, uh, laptop or, or any, any sort of computer at all. You're usually better off replacing the, or it's sorry, you're usually told to replace the circuit board rather than try and fix the circuit board because the lack of, uh, schematics and, uh, and information regarding it. But, um, uh- and it does like, and I'd say there's an awful lot of people listening and I'm no saint in this regard. Like I think every house has a drawer or a cupboard or a shelf where there's bits of cables. There might be old chargers. There's old phones that you were going to give away to charity, but never quite got around to it. And, you know, I think there is a, a general suspicion that tech companies build their devices so that they have a certain lifespan um, that we will eventually have to go buy and back and buy the latest version. Or are we being very cynical, do you think, Steve? Um, well, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, it's like some things are worth repairing, like, you know, and some things just generally aren't. Like, so if you buy uh, like something low, like a low-end Samsung phone, let's say, you buy 100 quid, you smash the screen on that, 
it costs almost a hundred quid to buy the screen in. And then sure, there's just no, there's no, there's no profit for anyone to fix it. So it just leaves a phone in that market or in that category, just unrepairable to uh, a shop. Obviously you can go, if you want to DIY it, you can figure that out. But like, there's just, there's a lot of devices that fall in that category too. Okay. So it just has to hit a threshold where um, it's, it's, it's kind of good value for the person fixing it and for the customer. And uh, but there's a lot of stuff in that in that market or in that, in, that's in that, that category that you might not have access to parts because the manufacturers withhold certain things. And, and you know, and that's actually kind of the bigger problem with all of it. So they don't necessarily want all of the, the bits and bobs and the internal workings of their devices to be made available on the free market. And so that's big. So and, and as a result, it means that we have to go back to them and, and, and buy more. So tell me then, like you said, you wanted to go beyond the repairing of the screens on mobile phones or, oh, I don't know, whatever it might be doing that you're doing with, say, laptops or that. How did you end up working on these, what are they called, command centers for tractors or iPads for tractors? Um, how did that all come about? Well, so that started like... I was putting up videos online of some of the interesting repairs I was doing on laptops, which would be kind of like on the motherboard level where you're looking through a microscope and everything's um, everything's just super zoomed in, everything's delicate and just kind of showing my thought process and maybe educating people along the way. Uh, so I live out the country and there was a, a couple of farmers around me and one of the lads saw the work I do uh, on laptops and he was quoted, he saw his essential iPad, which is a part of the tractor, had broken down and he was told to replace it at a cost of four grand or three grand. I can't remember um, just to replace the whole unit because the backlight wasn't working. So the, the, the device was on, but you couldn't see the screen uh, at all. Uh, so he just rang me up and, and said, look, well, chance it. Do you want to take a look at this? And then uh, I said, yeah, you know, I haven't worked on one before at all, but, you know, the same theory goes across all devices, you know. Once you know how a display works, there's only about four or five different configurations. Um, so after a week, I had it returned back to him at an at, at absolute fraction of the cost that would have cost him to replace it, you know. Um, I, and so like- a lot of this is documented on my on the TikTok. I, I show exactly my thought process and, and, and you know, how I go from uh, kind of A to B, start to finish. I'm- and like on the TikTok channel that you that you have set up, like it's um, the level of detail that you go into. Like I, I can imagine, like to be honest with you, staring at things that are that small would nearly give me a headache. Like it's very <laughs> it detailed do, yeah. work. Um, you need a lot of patience, yeah. And like, you know, I think we forget as well, like, and particularly if you're not from a farming background, we do forget that so much of modern farming involves all of these very, very high tech pieces of equipment that are very expensive. And then oh. like if one of these like like the, the, the screen or the tablet that you were talking about there, like farmers don't necessarily have three grand just, you know, there to replace a device. So exactly. So- but and actually an interesting note about that particular repair. So I to the backlight was broken on it. There's a device on the circuit board that that's like first to simplify it down, it just changes uh three volts into a two hundred volts, right? To power a backlight. Uh, a little square box on the on the on the circuit board. So I reached out to the manufacturer and a couple of other companies around Europe and no one would supply that part for me. The part had actually been the badge on the part had been scraped off 
Um, which you see a lot across all industries. You'll see debadging is what you call it. So okay. they don't want to, people to know, like people at my level, to even figure out how to fix it. So no one would sell me the part anywhere in Europe. I reached out to lads in America, uh, same thing. So I actually ended up having to rip that part out. And instead of, I, I had to modify the circuit to support a more modern backlight, which runs at a lower voltage, which actually in turn means it's, it should be a more reliable repair overall. But it was more work, but it, it, it meant because they wouldn't sell me their part, I had to, I had no choice but to modify it and create my own solution. And that's explained in that video if you actually if you've seen that one. I um I'm laughing here because when you said you've no choice, I'm sure there's plenty of people that have tried this kind of thing and have just given up out of sheer frustration. So why do you keep going? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I I wonder like <laughs> should I give up on some of these devices? But like it, it's kind of it's a curiosity for me, and then trying to be able to provide solutions that actually aren't out there do you know because there is solutions to all this stuff even if there's like uh barriers put in your way and it's just it just takes patience i suppose and i have lots of it um, and like like we shouldn't forget that like there are mountains of tech waste around the world of of varying types of whether it's starting with batteries to laptops to cameras to whatever it might be like there are piles and piles of these things that could be put, could be given a second life or or could be put to, to better use than just sitting in a heap somewhere, you know, um, ineffectively in landfill. Like, does that, you know, come into your thinking at all that at least you're, you are giving something, you're preventing something from from going to some form of collection of waste? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I collect all uh, broken motherboards, whatever I can store that I think I can repurpose other parts from. And like, do you know, when you like, I've been in the business so long, and I used to like when I was younger, didn't care about recycling. But the longer I'm in it, the kind of more frustrating it is because it's not only your twenty quid phone or hundred quid phone. Like I've had distributors in Ireland of different various agricultural manufacturers, and since they found out I've been doing these repairs, um. There's some of them telling me that they have just uh, storerooms about with about 10 or 12 of these devices that have been sitting for years, all worth a couple of grand a piece. But because even the manufacturer doesn't have a route uh, for these devices to get repaired, rather, it's always been a, just a replace and charge the customer scenario. It's mm. easier, better money. And, you know. And that's uh, that's all, a couple of different distributors uh, have told me that and sent in boxes of the same device, all worth a couple of grand each, do you know? And they're just sitting there now gathering dust and taking up space in a warehouse. Yeah, well, I've 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 got a boxes of a few and made a couple of good ones out of what I had. Uh, but there's other people obviously out there in the same scenario that don't have any road path, maybe don't know the work I do or, or anyone else who does this stuff. Um, and not to want to do you out of any business or anything, but... A couple of weeks before Christmas, I had uh, Minister Ossian Smith on the show and we were talking again about this need for these type of repair skills, you know, um, across, you know, all sorts of industries. Like, is there, do you think, a market for people to learn how to do this so that you could have, you know, the likes of the Sherwood Tech Repairs in different towns around the country so that it's not 
just you. Now, obviously not wanting you, as I say, not wanting to do you out of any business, but, you know, do we need to start thinking in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone is more aware that um, disposable electronics is becoming more and more of a problem. And they're absolutely, like, I, I'm, I'm flat to the mat, like, to be completely honest, like, since uh, the last year, like, I'm open almost two years now, and I just, the last year of it anyway, it's just been full on, like, there's no end of anything coming in the door. And obviously, there's there's a room for other people around the country. Like, there's a, there's one guy in Europe who does the same thing I do, that, well, it's just specifically agricultural, but I don't think there's, uh, one guy in the UK, I meant, sorry. But as far as I know, in Ireland, there's not another lad who, who does the same work I do. So obviously there is there's there's a gap in the market there too. What's or the maybe most the south or, or the, the east or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, by region or something like a some sort of, yeah. I don't know, repair club or repair hub or something. Um, what's the most interesting repair job that you've had so far? Oh <laughs> I don't know. Um I've had so many weird ones. Um uh like at the minute, there's an interesting one that came in uh today. It was a pro prototyping board for so a medical uh, a science medical science company sent this into me, uh, like a research and development lab, and they sent this big huge prototyping board to change this complicated like a processor socket. So it's a it's a big metal it's a big metal device on a circuit board with a hundred and ninety something pins on it. I have to take that off and put a new one on it. It's hard to describe, but. Um, it's a quite complicated repair. And for me, that's quite interesting. Like, it's not all just agriculture or consumer devices for me. Like, that's a really weird one for me. And, I, you know, I, the weirder, the better. It's more enjoyable to figure something new out than keep staying at the same thing. Well, they, they do say uh, a change is as good as a rest. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm just wondering, like, you know, like you're only one person, so there's only so much that you can do realistically with with all the arrows in the world. In the world, there's only so much that you can do. Mm-hmm. And like, do we need governments around the world to start? Well, nearly forcing tech companies to reuse and re- have repair services as part of their offerings. Like, do we need kind of a, a carrot and stick approach to this? Or like, you know, is there anything that could be done? to you know make this more viable for for the likes of you well 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 there's two questions there for the first one is it viable for the manufacturer and at the minute probably not because you'd have to train hundreds or thousands of people to replace certain parts of the device you know they're just manufacturing but what actually is the kind of the wall for people like me is uh not being having access to certain parts of their devices like years ago you would um like b- before the 90s you'd get or even in the 90s as well you get schematics of all the computers or, or complicated gear you would buy and that's all gone now you're not allowed uh even uh, like you can like so macbook airs or macbook pros you can obtain the schematics of those which is technically illegal but like every shop who does my kind of work around the world has all of these mm. uh, but the, but when it comes to agriculture or any or any Windows laptop, they're just impossible to get, um, and these companies don't want you to do that or to to figure out, um, how to get these schematics. So they usually like leak out of engineering labs, and somehow some guy gets it and shares it online. Um, 
But and without like, those schematics, yeah. you're, kind of, you're working in the dark. you got to reverse engineer how the product actually works from the power in to the display to the, to the data out. So it makes the job 10 times harder and, and in some cases makes it unrepairable without the schematics. And the schematics, schematics are, like it's essentially the map as to how the device was built. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And is it a bit like, because I remember, you know, I, I'm I, I'm probably in around a similar age to yourself, Steve, where, you know, maybe the parents at home will be able to mind the car and maybe, OK, bring it into the garage for maybe an annual service. But the, generally speaking, you know, the, you know, the, it was a few devices out in the garage and you'd fix it up yourself and you get on with it. Whereas nowadays you go into the garage and it has to be the garage with the specific computer that works with your brand of car. Um. And for a while there, you saw that there was kind of maybe a lack of independent mechanics. Now, I know that that's changed in recent years, but it did go down that route where you had to go to that particular brand garage to get your car fixed for a while. Um, Like, do we need, like, can something be done to, if not force, encourage the big tech companies to release their schematics? Because I'm sure, you know, they'll be arguing, well, it's intellectual pro- property. Intellectual property, yeah, which is fair. But I mean, like, if you if you look at it, any MacBook for the last ten or twenty years is totally available online, and not one company in those twenty or thirty years has ever been able to replicate uh, a Mac or any Apple circuit board at all. Mm, okay. Like, they're so detailed now. Like, a schematics is not everything. Do you know, um, like the machining is is such a big part, and all these circuit boards are now multi layer. So whatever you see on the surface, there's usually a sandwich of anywhere from three to 13 layers of copper roadways that you cannot see. Um, and then obviously the other side of the board. So without the schematics, you just can't figure out uh, from one side of the board to the other what, what connects to what. Um, but that's not, like there's another problem even within the cut, the consumer stuff. So your I, Apple iPhone screen. So they've now put passwords on all the screens essentially. So if I got two brand new iPhone 13s, took them apart in the Apple shop, swapped the screens over, both of the phones would say, I cannot verify if this is a genuine Apple screen. Um, So what that is, is actually hurting third party uh, repair shops like me. So if someone comes in and I use a genuine screen and someone be like, well, it's just still an error on the screen. I have to explain to them that Apple have put a password that only they can verify if it's a real screen or not. And then, like, you will have, and not necessarily Apple, because I don't want to be sued around that, but there will be companies who claim that they're doing all the good in the world for the environment. But then when you see something like this and you're thinking, well, yeah, but you're you're attempting to prevent your device from being repaired. So you're not really doing anything at all. Um, so, like, steps like that, okay. Um, and you mentioned there that, like, downloading the schematics you know might technically be illegal there'd be some people who won't want to bring you know the macbook or the windows tablet or the tablet from the tractor they won't take the chance of bringing it to somebody like you because they'd be afraid of voiding the warranty on it um like can you go to somebody like you and try and get it fixed and if that doesn't work go back to the manufacturer so so if the device is broken by the consumer, that the void the warranty is already void. Nine times out of ten, the warranty is already void. Um, and if it's not void, 
and there's a there's a big chance that they won't even know that you're in there because they don't actually fix circuit boards. If you bring a like a liquid damaged uh, computer to a manufacturer, um, they'll just replace the whole internals. They won't attempt mm-hmm. to repair. Like so, like a MacBook Pro motherboard, the machine is two grand. It's liquid damaged. You bring it to an Apple store to replace the motherboard is one thousand euro or maybe or more thereabouts. If you bring it to a third party shop like me who does micro soldering, you could be talking anywhere from two to five hundred euro depending on the man hours. So you're you're just splitting the cost in half, and the turnaround time is much quicker. But it, it's different though. Like I mean, there, there is no preserving warranty if the warranty is already gone. Do you know. So if you've like, I know many, many people have like dropped the phone in the toilet or, you know, let a cup of coffee spill all over a laptop with all those really important work files that probably should have been backed up anyway. Um, yeah, there's, it's no harm then at that stage because, you know, the likes of Windows or Mac or whoever it might be will come back to you and say, well, yeah, you should have been a bit more careful with that cup of coffee. You shouldn't have spilt it over the computer. So it's your fault. Yeah. We're doing nothing to to fix the problem unless you want to pay us to do it. Yeah, but also data retention is a big thing as well. So if your data is important, it, well, it, it you can only bring it to a third-party shop. If you can bring it to Apple, regardless if it's liquid damaged or not, they're going to wipe that through GDPR um, laws or whatever. Well, Steve, it's absolutely fascinating chatting with you and fair play to you because like looking at that TikTok, it is, it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant channel and I, I recommend people um, look you up on TikTok. But the level of detail that you go into, um, I, I, I'm surprised you, you haven't suffered eyesight difficulties as of yet. <laughs> um, re- remind us, Steve, what is the, the name of the TikTok account if people do want to follow you on it? Uh, it's Sherwood's Tech. It could be Sherwood's underscore tech, maybe. Okay. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So uh, if you want Steve to take a look at any of your devices or at least even send you in the right direction, it's Sherwood Tech Repairs in Mullingar. And, um, you know, we're doing our bit by attempting to keep the, the economy circular. And um, I'd say we'll, we we might hear from you again, Steve, if you get some uh, particularly interesting devices into repair. Definitely, yeah. Well, thanks for having us, Ashley. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you're enjoying the programme so far. Just wanted to take a moment to remind you that we are available as a podcast. So if you are listening to us on Midlands 103 FM, you can now tune in to Let's Go Green at your leisure on Spotify, Google and indeed Apple Podcasts. Please do follow the podcast and subscribe so you're notified each and every week of every episode. And if you're in the mood, please do share it with your friends and family and colleagues and indeed write us a review. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Now, you might have heard over the last couple of days that the government and indeed the Minister for Environment has announced plans to try and I think shore up confidence in consumers in the hopes that if the government provides more charging places along our roads network for electric cars, that we'll then go and get electric cars for our household. And to discuss this in detail, we are joined by the Environment Correspondent for the Irish Independent, Caroline O'Doherty. Caroline, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ashling. Now, Caroline, like I have to admit, I was looking for a car in 2021 and 
it came down for me it came down to reliability and I much of my driving is city driving and you know within close range of home and work and that but I did not want to get caught on a motorway somewhere on a holiday or a weekend away and end up with a broken electric charger which we see a lot of or just nowhere to be no one to be found so I can see where the government is coming from uh, on on this project but Am I thinking right in that we're all going to ha- have electric charging points on motorways every 60 kilometres and at, at GEA centres or sports uh, services um, within the next three years? Very ambitious. That's the dream. <laughs> um, you know, that is the plan. And and as you rightly say, that is an anxiety people have when they consider going electric. You know, one is price of the car. Can I mm. afford it? The choice that's out there. And and secondly, or if not matching that, it's, you know, how far can I get if I really, if I need to charge up, is there going to be a charger, you know, that I don't have to seek high and low to find? Is it going to be available? Is it going to be working? Is there going to be a queue mile long waiting to use it? So this is important. This is an important signal. If the infrastructure is out there, it does build confidence. But the numbers um, of charges that they're looking to roll out under this um, strategy, it's not that it's underwhelming. It's just not that you can suddenly envisage that there's going to be a charger popping up everywhere. Now, I, there is an important sort of caveat to this. A lot of the charging goes on in people's houses. Yes. So, and if you can imagine, the, probably everybody who's bought an electric car in the last number of years has also charge is also got an electric charger at home and that's not a bias against people who are in apartments and so on but actually it turns out that about 80 percent of people who are car owners in this country have a driveway that's the kind of housing they live in and we Um, should say up until very recently you weren't eligible for the grant if you're an apartment owner whereas that that did change last summer so you know that might we might see more and more apartment owners or apartment blocks older apartment blocks i should say getting those charging points but but you're right, you know, as it stands, it's people with driveways that have them. And that grant that came into effect uh, sort of middle of last year in relation to apartments, it does require a bit of organisation because it, it requires either the the management company, you know, or the residence association to kind of get together because it's intended for a kind of, a, you know, bulk installation. So there'll be a few and it'll have to be in a common area. So I'm not sure how many people have got around that just yet. But yeah, it is. It's a good start on that front. But we have, um, so if you take take all those who have people, the charges at home uh, out of the equation, you then want to have them in all the other places so that it's great if you're, you know exactly where you're going every day. So you charge up at home and you go to work and you come back home or whatever. But obviously people want to get out and about and they've unplanned journeys and they've longer than expected journeys and they've emergency trips and they've all sorts of things. And they want, and, and there's tourists as well and there's visitors. So um, we only have... So about 1,300 what they call, and this confuses everybody, residential or neighbourhood chargers. Now, they're not in houses, even though mm-hmm. they're residential. They're in on towns, on street and small in towns and, and so on. And then we have only about 300, well, last week is 374 motorway charging points. Now, again, not all of those will be suitable for every car. Not all of them are working. Not all of them are available. Um, the plan is um, we are obliged under EU regulations to have a certain amount of EV charging power or capacity by 2025. So it's it's actually measured in kilowatts. And then it's up to us in the, the Ireland to break that down into, well, how many high-speed, high-powered and motorway chargers uh, plus how many residential or just other public chargers will make up that power capacity. And they could break it down in different ways. Um 
you could just double the number of motorway charges and then sort of increase the number of other public places by about two and a half times. So you'd have just over 4,000 public, generally public char- charges and 780 motorway charging points. Um, now, the minister said yesterday that he'd like to see at least 1,000 motorway charging points by 2025. Um, so that would slightly possibly reduce the number of, 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 of other public places. But he does say that even though that's the EU regulation, he'd like to go way ahead of that. Mm-hmm. And that 2025, obviously, is only one point in time. We'll, we'll go we'll further than that. But he's, there's constraints on money then, even though this is a 100 million euro fund for all of this. Um, there's still a lot involved. And particularly, you know, the high powered, um, more sophisticated chargers um, probably cost a little bit more. And there's all sorts of work to be done on that. So, you know, it will be significantly different but I, I, I hate to be sceptical, but our towns are getting busier as well. Yeah. So every time you try and find a, a space to put a, a publicly available uh, charging point, um, you're, you're dealing with on-street traffic. Um, you're dealing with, you know, um, competition for parking spaces to reserve for a, a charging point. Um, so a lot of work is going to have to go into finding the locations that really work. And my concern around that is that there has been a scheme in place for local authorities since 2019 where they were given 5,000 euro per electric charging point um, as a, as a you know, decent contribution towards the overall cost. Um, and four local authorities have applied for that. Uh, you I'm know, sure so- many would say, look, we had a pandemic since that was that funding was released. We didn't have the the resources, perhaps, and like you know, just in, in to play devil's advocate here. But I, I I get where you're coming from, and I and the minister did mention as well that you know we need to re- look at where we're placing these. That perhaps we could use lampposts that are already in existence, and like. You know, lampposts tend to be on the edge of a footpath and not necessarily right beside a parking spot. Like, that's all very well and good in theory, but it didn't sound at least very thought out. It yeah, it, it is. It, it exactly. And, and many of our lampposts are, you know, they're as you say they're 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 legacy lampposts, so they they're not designed for you know cars to be parking parking up, and and there's competition for those parking spaces. So I think a lot of this is going to have to be, you know, we have a lot of new housing promised and needed. So all of all new buildings, there has to be really, really a good effort put into locating charging points on all of those. That has to be just a given. Um, mm. And then, you know, gradually those kind of older neighbourhoods um, that take a bit more work and take, you know, co- they, they take neighbourhood neighbours to get together. They take residents associations to get together and find a kind of common space where they wouldn't mind, you know, that being the charging point, knowing that, you know, people might come in from outside the neighbourhood and use it as well. There's all those kind of issues, um, you know, that, that requires, that's not a, a technological um, problem. It's not a, an electrical problem. That's a people problem. Uh, so that's, I think, where the time will, will take to, to roll those kind of things out. The motorways shouldn't be an issue at all. They have the yeah. space. They have, a lot of them have some kind of charging point and say they're not always most efficient. And, you know, some of them were early adopters and then, you know, didn't have the, maybe the, the money or the business, uh, the, the, didn't have the usage to then, you know, um, uh, uh, revamp them and, and get them up to the most modern type. That should be a no brainer as well. The, definitely motorways. Um, they're also then what they're calling sort of destination centers. So, you know, 
um, sports centres, uh, visitor attractions, tourist attractions, all of those kind of places. Again, there used to a lot of uh, people arriving by car. They have that bit of extra space. It should be easier. There also tend to be more modern buildings, so a more modern layouts, more modern grounds. That should be fairly straightforward. So when you put all those together, you know, maybe, yes, the neighbourhood ones might take that a little bit longer. And certainly, we, you know, around Dublin, where I am, um, there's a lot of older streets, you know, mm-hmm. very narrow footpaths, uh, no gardens, you know, cl- congested streets. It's going to be more difficult for people like that. But then, you know, the flip side of that is what we've been told. Well, you know, the idea is that all of those people, um, th- you know, they already have a better public transport options than other parts of the country. And that's to get better. So, you know, electric cars, electric or otherwise, you know, are not necessarily the best answer for for those people anyway. There is another people problem in this entire scenario, and that is we're going to need an awful lot of electricians to be able to install these things. And anybody, any developer that you speak to, anybody who needs an electrician to do a small job in their own homes will know that getting a good electrician is a bit like finding hen's teeth. There definitely is a skills shortage, absolutely. Um, and the Minister for Higher Education, who's now double jobbing as Minister for Justice, you know, uh, started working during the pandemic on trying to get sort of courses uh, going in the institutes of technology, um, try and get all people who are already working in the trades uh, to sort of skill them up on the particular particulars of, 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 you know, this kind of technology. Um, but it is an issue. Uh, the Department of Enterprise is looking at bringing in workers from abroad. There has always been a steady stream of workers from abroad. But now when workers from abroad come here, you know, they can't get accommodation. So that's a big mm-hmm. issue, you know, and uh, that it is it is a problem. Um, now, having said that, um, there was another announcement um, um, by the minister that as loan has become the first Irish town to get an all-electric bus service. Now, it's only 11 buses, but that's 11 buses uh, covering over 500,000 kilometres a year, um, 10,000 fairly regular passengers, all-electric. And part of that was that all their drivers and their mechanics had to be trained up to operate and maintain the buses. So it can be done. So again, that's not a technical problem. The skills are there. Um, the teachers can teach. The handbooks and manuals and guidance is all there. It, it is about just ramping up the number of people who are going to avail of that and then stay in Ireland to, to work on those fields because you know there are opportunities abroad now as well. If you've, mm-hmm. you've, been, if you've been an early starter on this and got all your qualifications, you probably have your choice of jobs and locations. And it's cold today and you might want to work somewhere else, <laughs> warm and sunny. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I can totally I sympathise with anybody wanting to, to work in sunnier climes and all of that. But I suppose perhaps there is a maybe a hope there that just the... Oh, the the climate conscious amongst us just for the sheer, you know, ethics of it might stay put and uh, get us all on the electric road. Uh, before I let you go, Caroline, like we saw during the pandemic, an awful lot of money made available for businesses to uh, and restaurants and um, eater, eateries, basically, to have outdoor seating. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, think, uh, money could be found quickly to do a project like that. And you would see an awful lot of petrol stations up and down the country who at this stage don't have electric charging points or maybe, like you mentioned, have electric charging points that were installed years ago and don't necessarily have the funds to upgrade the facilities. Is there any talk of any kind of grant for business people who might want to install um, electric charging points at their facilities? 
Yes, there is. And now we're waiting for the details of these. Um, there, you know, um, there are, there are, we're promised that this 100 million uh, euro fund will be broken down into various kinds of schemes and supports. So we're kind of waiting for those. I, we need to see those because it's mm. all very well having a strategy and putting a, a slapping a, um, a money figure on it, but it does need to happen quite quickly. Um, the, the scheme for, for sports facilities, sports centres and so on, uh, we're expecting that now to, to open in the next couple of weeks. So again, there'll be a, a hint, you know, f- from there. We know for, um, for example, under the the apartment scheme that, that that was announced last year, you know, depending on who owns the apartments, if they're social housing, if they're, if they're local authority or approved housing, they're eligible to get up to 90% of the cost. If they were private, they could still get around 60% of the cost. So, you know, those are kind of, they're just indicative. We don't know the full details yet, but there is, I think there is an intention to be, if not widely generous, but certainly to, to have supports in there that um, are, there's enough of an incentive you know, that it does, that it, it overcomes that kind of, you know, is this going to just cost me money? I have to give over space in my car park for this. Um, am I? And also there is, a, there is another incentive because the way this is being played out is, you know, some so many of the motorway pit stops, if you like, people now use them to get out and get a cup of coffee and use the toilet and, and whatever and buy sweets they shouldn't eat in the car. You know, all in all, a, a little, you know, adventure that takes about 20 minutes if you have the high-powered, high-speed chargers in motorways, they should charge your car almost to full. They're sort of saying 70 80% within mm-hmm. 20 minutes. And, and I've yet to see a single person with the ability to walk into a shop for a coffee and come out with just a coffee. So, you know, there's definitely a business case for it. Well, Caroline O'Doherty, thank you for giving us um, the up-to-date information on the government plans. And it's probably worthwhile, you know, if you're in business at the moment to really take a look at these plans and see, can you make the move or at least avail of this funding now while it's available? Because we know these schemes do not last forever. Caroline, thanks so much for your time this evening. My pleasure. Well, as Caroline O'Doherty, the environment correspondent from the Irish Independent, mentioned, Athlone became the first town in the country to have a bus service powered by electric buses. Now, you might think, haven't we done this by now, surely? But apparently we hadn't. So Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan was in Athlone last week to launch the new service and uh, here are some of his thoughts when he was speaking to our reporter. They're very quiet. I mean, when you pick up speed, you start to get the wheel noise sound. But at slow pace in the town, that's why they have to put that sound back in. But they're better in so many different ways. That air quality issue, as well as low emissions, for towns around the country where you've diesel in the centre of town, that's not good. That's bad for people's health. So it's the local benefits, the health benefits, the local air quality benefits. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Will you be checking out the new electric bus service in Athlone? Or indeed, have you learned a little bit about your tech repairs? Are you looking at those um, electrical devices that are piling up in that drawer that I know you have, because we all have? Um, Perhaps we could give them a 
second life who knows but it was interesting to hear from Steve Sherwood of Sherwood Tech earlier this evening as always if you have enjoyed the show please do get in contact with us through the website midlands103.com look at the on air team and search for my name Ashling O'Rourke and there's a wee button there that'll send me an email straight from your computer I'd love to hear from you and in particular if you have some items that you'd like to hear us discuss on the show please do feel free to drop us a line well that's it for tonight have a great week stay safe and we'll be back next week with another episode of Let's Go Green